A very special guest on today's Peacock and Williamson. We've got Sam Monson, lead analyst at Pro Football Focus. We're talking NFL draft. We're talking free agency. We're talking Lamar Jackson trades. We're talking Aaron Rodgers trades. Uh, it's going to be just an unbelievable week of NFL football to come. And we'll cover it today on Peacock and Williamson. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson bring you expert NFL analysis every day in less than 30 minutes. Get an inside look into the NFL on the field and in the front office. With elite breakdowns, next-level analysis, and in-depth information only for the real NFL fans. This is Peacock and Williamson, and it starts now. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock alongside Matt Williamson at BD Peacock at Williamson NFL on Twitter. Thanks, everybody, for making us your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And as we get going today, it is my pleasure to bring on to the program lead analyst at Pro Football Focus. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam, the great Sam Monson. Appreciate you, Sam. And I'm wondering, seeing your title lead analyst just makes me think because I, I love the rapport you and Steve have on uh you know on the PFF podcast are if you are you the lead analyst does that put you <laughs> of Steve well are so you the thing the, the thing about Steve's gig is that he has like a sort of split role within the company so he's most of the time he's a, a project uh, product manager on the b2b side dealing with teams sort of building up our flagship team um our team product the pff ultimate pff iq and then there's like a little slice of him that's carved off for the podcast and on the content side of things so technically we don't even acknowledge him as an analyst on the content side of things he's just the guy that hosts the podcast um and me i'm full-time on the that on that side of things so i get the the fancy title and he just has to make do with his uh, his product manager gig in the background I love that. And uh, you can thank Chip Kelly for me not maybe trying to pack up and move to Cincinnati. I was a PFF analyst for a little over a year, did some stuff with the, with the early days of like some infographics and, and was charting routes. And it was 2016, and I, I requested to, re, to chart routes for a lot of 49ers games. And it was the one Chip Kelly season for the San Francisco 49ers. And I was like, I just can't watch Mesh Concept anymore, <laughs> and I can't do this. And so that was my my one and done year at Pro Football Focus. But um, and to be honest with you, it it was really cool to to get a, a look behind the scenes while PFF was growing so much. And, and it's a fantastic resource, and I love seeing what you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, it's very cool seeing where we've come from. Particularly, like I, I was one of the sort of first guys in the door, one of the the early core team that before you know Chris Collinsworth bought the company and all those kinds of things. So from sort of quote-unquote AGMs in, in Neil Hornsby's front room in, in Luton in England to where we are now is kind of ridiculous to think about. <laughs> Very cool. So you mentioned interaction with NFL teams. You know, Steve does a lot of that sort of thing. And if there's that, please don't give me any secrets or anything, but do all teams <laughs> use your guys' service or do some of them? Or how does that work with your interaction with the league? Yeah, so the great thing is now that part's not a secret. All 32 NFL teams are, gotcha, are PFF yeah. subscribers. We're over 100 FBS teams. We've got 30, something like that, FCS teams, the, the CFL, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. For a while, we couldn't name specific teams, right? They, they all sort of had it in the contracts so that we can't really talk about it. So once we got to 32, we were able to say, well, all 32 teams are customers now. So there's no cool. sort of high, you know, there's no... Uh, 
betraying confidences at that point. So getting to that 30-second team was a big deal for us because we could just say, yeah, your team's a PFF customer like everybody else. <laughs> um, sorry, what was the original question other than that? That was basically it. I was just yeah. curious how much interaction you guys had with the league and was is it everybody or not or, you know. Yeah, so it is everybody. And, you know, we were talking before we went on air that the combine was just there. And, and that's a couple of hours up the road for us for from being home base in Cincinnati. So we get to bring a ton of guys to the combine. And it's kind of the check in time for those guys, for the team side of things. All 32 teams are obviously there in Indy. And, you know, we have a meeting with sort of everybody and, and kind of, you know, what went well, what went badly from the sort of PFF process for them and how can we make some improvements all those kinds of things so yeah it's an important kind of time of year for us checking in with the the nfl teams and, and really sort of improving things on their end real quick just so our listeners know you guys had quite the setup at the combine <laughs> i was impressed i mean I, I had to walk past your guys corner every day several times to and from my my hotel room and it was like walking through a bad neighborhood. It was like, you know, going through through all you guys. I mean, you guys had it set up well. It was impressive. I, I just Plus, you know, we've, yeah. we've got Steve hanging out there. He's 6'10". He's intimidating. Yeah, right. He's like the muscle <laughs> at the door. Yeah. Right, right. Mike, Mike Parker is our guy that, that all of that is down to. He's been doing this for years. Um, and again, from the first days of the combine, the first one we attended where, like, we hoped we might get a meeting with a team or two to now it's like this giant week-long sort of check-in with every team all our, our everybody that that shows up to this thing it's again kind of crazy growth impressive fantastic stuff yeah being a prospect prospect town myself i remember steve palazzola when he was a, a minor leaguer for the san francisco giants and and so that, that's pretty wild to see him on the football side of things and there's ex pff analysts that are now you know offensive coordinators in the nfl passing yeah. coordinators in the nfl so so pretty wild especially with how skeptical some people were with with pff um, but I want to get into the nitty gritty here and some specifics as it pertains to the 2023 offseason, Sam. And let's start with the NFL draft and these quarterbacks. Is a team really going to trade, I don't know, three first round picks for a 5'10", maybe guy that plays at 195 quarterback? This is this is going to be wild with the NFL draft. It is. It's going to be a really fascinating thing, like how how far Chicago trades down from that number one pick, which obviously the flip side of that is which team is coming up and you know, maybe Houston jumps one spot just to make sure they can get their guy. And that probably wouldn't be a massive trade. But the further down you go, the bigger the haul is going to be. Colts from four would make a lot of sense. But, you know, Raiders at seven could be a team. The Panthers at nine, like Tennessee, I think, drafts 11. And they may be blowing that thing up and look into the future and, and could be a team. You're right. The, the further down you go, the bigger that deal is going to look like. And Bryce Young is the presumed number one pick amongst these four quarterbacks for for good reason like I think Bryce Young has the best tape of any of these guys I think if he we've heard a lot of people say this but if he was 6'2 220 pounds we would be talking about one of the best prospects to come into the NFL for years you know right up there with the Trevor Lawrence's those kinds of things but he isn't he's and he's very not <laughs> he's 5'10 and like, look, he weighed in at the combine at 204 pounds, right? A gallon of water is eight pounds. So the absolute highest I am willing to believe he weighs yeah. is 194 pounds. And honestly, I think he can probably take off 10 more pounds to get him back to his playing weight. The guy's 185 pounds. That's mm -hmm. just the reality of what we're talking about here. Um, which 204 is, is okay. the heaviest he ever is in the next 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. No doubt. And, yeah. Like, that's just we just need to accept that as a reality. Like that is what we're talking about here. 
But that doesn't mean he can't play in the NFL and play at a really high level. He was that size in the SEC playing at Alabama and was the best quarterback in the nation. Like that's he he is an incredible talent. He has incredible tape. And if he avoids, you know, the occasional getting tossed to the ground in the grasp of a guy that outweighs him by like 150 pounds, I don't think there's any reason why he can't be an incredible quarterback at the next level as well. A little bit more with Bryce Young here. And if you believe in Bryce Young, uh, I would have a a couple of worries. Obviously, size is one. And even if you get it right, does he get folded in half? But you basically, you you think that Bryce Young is, I don't know, I'm I'm a Niners guy. So I go go to Joe Montana, who was not a physically impressive dude, but had a lot going on with him, right? You basically think he's a a surgeon out there because he, he, while he's not, it's not like he was because Kyler Murray was a little thicker, right? But he also had a great arm and was unbelievably athletic. And mm-hmm. Bryce Young is athletic and has a good arm, but he doesn't have that that thing that knocks you out physically at all and is an no. outlier with size, too. So I wonder, it's going to be hard to talk teams into it. And I think, okay, if he falls to you, if you're if you're at pick four and Bryce Young's on the board, you're like, oh, let's draft him. But the trading up part is, is really hard for me to wrap my brain around because I know how NFL team operates. Uh, and, and they hate small guys. They do. Um, but you're right. Like if, if you're going to be that size, you need to have something special. You need to have some kind of calling card that makes you go, OK, we don't care about the size because this is incredible. And, you know, with Kyler Murray, it was the speed and the athleticism and the arm and all those other things. But with Bryce Young, his special trait is anticipation. I, I don't think I've seen a quarterback come into the NFL that throws with better anticipation than he does in years, like a long, long time, to, to the point where I can't think who the guy would be that has better anticipation than he does right now. Like Mac Jones, that was the thing he was best at, and he's better at it than Mac Jones was. Like that's the thing that's special with Bryce Young. And even when you look at like his interceptions, if you just pull up all of his college interceptions and watch them one after the other, half of them from a process standpoint. I actually kind of think are good plays like he's hmm. he's anticipated so much that he's put the ball in the air and like the receiver gets kind of cut off or something happens, you know, and it ends up getting picked off. But like when you're breaking that down, you know, there are quarterbacks where you you put up an interception. You're like, all right, I need you. You're going to need to spend the next two minutes explaining to me what the hell happened on this play, because <laughs> right, I don't right. even understand what you were doing yeah. with Bryce Young. You can see what happened in pretty much every one of these interceptions, and it's not terrible. You know what I mean? So when his worst plays, you're almost making excuses for half of them. I think that kind of tells you the sort of quarterback he is and and how good he is across the board as a baseline. And that's the thing that's going to make him survive at the NFL level and thrive if he's going to do it. So to bring it back to PFF, is he off the charts with big time throws versus turnover worthy plays? I think that's the, the phrases you guys use, right? Right. Um, he's not off the charts, but he's really high. I mean, I his okay. big-time throw rate is very good. His turnover-worthy play rate, though, is the thing that's, like, incredible. He's okay. got two seasons back-to-back with a 2%, 2.0% turnover-worthy play rate, which is really low. Like, yeah, very much so. Justin Herbert led the NFL for the second year in a row last season at 1.7%. So if you're at 2% or lower, you're basically in all-pro, you know, best five top five quarterbacks in the NFL type of category. And that's where he's been for the last two years. More with Sam Monson, lead analyst at pro football focus coming up uh, more on the first round quarterback prospects. And then some of the crazy trades we can see in the NFL and free agency that opens 
next week. Today's episode of Peacock and Williamson is brought to you by Built Bar. If you are looking for that delicious treat, you don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try Built Bar. And what makes Built Bar so great? Well, it's it's got all the macros that you're looking for. If you're trying to eat better, what do you want? You need a lot of protein, you don't want a lot of fat, you don't want a lot of calories, and you don't want a lot of sugar. Well, there you go, because that is what Built Bar is, all wrapped in delicious 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. It tastes like real chocolate, and it is delicious, and is not some brown-colored chocolatey substance. It is actual chocolate. With Built Bar's Healthy is actually tasty. Flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Most Built Bars, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't even need to wait around to get a box in the mail, although you can find all the flavors and varieties at Built.com. You can now get them at your local store shelves as well, including Walmart or Sam's Club. So go to Walmart today. Find in the pharmacy section a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box of hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. And then you can thank us later. And, of course, all the new flavors and seasonal flavors available at Built.com. All right, Sam. So I think universally, everybody that watches the tape and puts it on, they love Bryce Young. Uh, Then there's C.J. Stroud who's universally kind of the second guy. And then when you go to the Indianapolis and, and uh, you have a, something like the combine and guys like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson show up, they have, there's no other option than to be super impressed physically with, with what those guys are. So how do you, how does that all come together for you guys? And, and how much do you fight Renner on his rankings, by the way, as it pertains <laughs> to you? Cause it's like a PFF ranking. And do you ever go like, well, that's Renner's ranking. That's not my ranking. Yeah, I mean, we do sometimes have to be like, yeah, look, I would have it in a different order. Um, as it happens this year, I kind of agree with Renner to a worrying degree. I, I don't like it when that happens all the time. But <laughs> Renner's really high on Will Levis, um, mm. maybe as high as anybody I've seen. And I, I, kind, I get it. I understand why you would like Levis. You have to watch 2021 tape. I don't think you can get there if you just watch 2022 tape. Um, but if you watched uh, the year before, He's playing in an NFL offense. He's got like a real NFL play caller. Um, Liam, the guy who's now back with the Rams, having come from that system, was the guy calling the plays back uh, in 2021. And Levis looked a lot better that year. Um, Made a lot more big plays. Showed the kind of toughness, pocket presence, the ability to read defenses. Showed kind of everything you're looking for that year. And then this season, almost none of it was there. Um, Real absence of big plays, actually. When you... Sort of hear Will Levis described, you would imagine his tape is littered with, you know, big time throws, big plays, and it really isn't. Like he had seven of them or something last season. Wow. That's a really low number. Um, but his supporting cast that year was terrible, like really bad. And unlike other quarterbacks where that's been an issue in the past, it's a, it's a terrible supporting cast going up against legitimate, really good opposition. Like Josh Allen obviously had a terrible supporting cast of Wyoming, but on the other hand, he was playing people at the same kind of level. So maybe mm-hmm. it offsets or it's closer than it would be when you have a bad supporting cast of Kentucky going up against the SEC competition. So, yeah, I, Levis is a really – he's the most polarizing one, I think, where I think really the evaluations on him are over, all over the place – as much as Anthony Richardson is a sort of probably a high variance type of guy, everybody kind of agrees on what he is, which is this incredibly talented athlete who has a mile to go from a passing point of view because he's inaccurate and, and needs to be 
worked on from that point of view. But everyone's more or less on the same page with Richardson. And C.J. Stroud, I think, is, is a similar concept of everyone more or less agrees on what he is. But Levis is the wild card. Like, I've seen him mock number one overall because he's the, the antithesis of the small Bryce Young guy. I've also seen people say that guy's a second-round quarterback. And I think you can see what people are talking about when they make either one of those cases. That's a great point. And I don't know about you, but I'm convinced these four quarterbacks are going to go in the top nine, if not earlier. And part of it's just because they're quarterbacks. They always get pushed up, of course. It's need. But I also think this draft in particular, quarterbacks aside, is very short on blue chips, you know, real studs, top yeah. five caliber players, especially at tackle and corner where, you know, those th those positions are super valued. And I don't know if you agree with me too, but I'm not sure this year there's a huge difference between the 18th or 20th best player and the 45th player. You know, like that guy, there's a whole bunch of those guys in this draft. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Certainly, you know, blue chip players, you might be just talking about those two defensive yeah, linemen, yeah. Will Anthony from Alabama and or Will Anderson from Alabama and Jalen Carter from Georgia. And Carter, you know, has now got legal issues to, to navigate and to convince teams are not a problem. So you might be talking about one blue chip player outside of the quarterback position um, the other, the other positions have quite a lot of depth, but not necessarily anybody that you want to go to bat for in the top five or the top right, 10, right. even like cornerback. I think this is one of the best cornerback groups we've seen come along, but there's no one that looks like sauce Gardner. There's no Jaylen one. Who Ramsey, right. right. Yeah. There's no one who you're going to say, we can take that guy at five overall and be happy about it. Like maybe you'll draft one just because of need or just because the board falls that way. But you're not in love with it the way you might have been uh, a year ago with, with the cornerback prospects that were coming out. And I agree with you. I think the depth in this draft is that sort of the next tier down is very homogenous. There's a ton mm -hmm. of guys that are going to be ranked very similarly. And I, we might see a bunch of teams trying to trade down as soon as you get into the middle of the first round because the, the margin between the prospects is minimal and you can get extra draft picks. Being in Indy, did you get any vibe from teams or, you know, was there was there an overwhelming um, feeling about Jalen Carter? Did he do enough damage control? Because it's one thing to maybe be a tiebreaker and Will Anderson goes ahead of him instead and he's the second best non-quarterback in the class or someone who falls down past five or six and then could be in a free fall. And, and who knows? Did, did you get any vibe with Jalen Carter and where his stock is after the week? It was difficult to tell. I think maybe mm -hmm. the most important factor here is that this surprised NFL teams. Like this was not something that the league knew was coming and they were kind of you know prepared for. And it was just a shock once the public found out about it. This surprised teams when it happened. They like th there were teams that were talking about him. Um, and then this broke and it was like, sorry, what? Like this, this was a complete surprise to them. It, it was not something that they saw coming down the pike. That in itself, I think, is not a good sign for Jalen Carter, that his representatives or whatever, like they were not out in front of this and preparing teams for, hey, this is coming. It's, it's going to be something. We'll figure it out. We'll minimize the damage, blah, blah, blah. Like they, they were shocked when this dropped on them. Um, so that, you're, you're right, the, the term you use, damage limitation, like you're going to need to do a lot of that because – that's a pretty big blow. The thing I think that helps him relative, because, you know, when it happens, you're comparing it to the Laramie Tunsil gas mask thing. You're comparing it to the Lyle Collins thing where he's, 
you know, a person of interest or whatever of a, in a, a murder uh, right before the draft. And all of a sudden, nobody knows what to do with that. The difference between those things and this thing, other than obviously the incidents themselves, is the time frame we're talking about. Like, he has almost two months to figure out where this is going to go, what it's going to do, what the ramifications are going to be, and to try and repair the damage done with NFL teams. Whereas Tunsil and Lyle Collins, this happened like the day of the draft and right, nobody right. has any idea what to do about that. And they, they panic and teams start to pass on. They just don't have the time to work out where it's going to go. So the fact that he's got such a long runway to try and put this back together again, I think probably limits how far he ends up sliding, if at all, in the first round by the, by the end of this all. As a player... Do you have him ahead of Quinn and Williams and other top five defensive tackles in recent memory? That's a good question. We really liked yeah. Quinn and Williams coming out. Like his uh, tape stud, by yeah. the by that final season was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's in that kind of category. I'm not yeah, sure yeah. if I'd quite put him ahead. Uh, but when you look at his tape, and it, forget last year, if you go back to that, the best college defense maybe of all time, the Georgia defense of 2021, they sent a ton of guys to the NFL. They were first-round picks, left, right, and center. The number one overall pick, blah, blah, blah. He was obviously the best player on that defense anytime <laughs> you watched anybody. Like, you're going through the draft process. Now we're watching Kobe Dean. Now we're watching uh, Devontae Wyatt. We're watching Trayvon Walker. We're watching Lewis Seen. No matter who you're watching, Jalen Carter is the guy jumping off the screen as like easily the best player in that defense. I, it's I like think a supermodel really... walk by every time you're trying to pay attention. Yeah, you know, it's like I can't stop watching this guy. It's amazing. And generally, <laughs> generally, I think that is like a that is a thing when people jump mm-hmm. out of the tape when you're not even supposed to be watching them. You know, you just notice other players from somebody's tape. I think that probably is quite a useful data point. I think it's always pointed me in the direction of pretty good players. Um, and for him to do that, given the standard of the player we're talking about, like this ton of first round draft picks, the best defense of all time, I think is probably a really important thing for him. And then, you know, you just watch his tape specifically for him and you see it, you know, almost all the time. Special. Yeah. Where are you at with Lamar Jackson? And I know some, a lot of folks are trying to vilify, you know, certain sides of this thing and, uh, there's no agents that are leaking information and it's just such an odd negotiation that, that we've really never seen, especially for a, a superstar former MVP quarterback at his age. And I, I just got to imagine there's at least one team out there, Sam, that says this is, you can't do this. You usually don't have an opportunity to even talk to a 25, 26 year old former MVP and, and even have an opportunity to maybe put together a package that would allow us to sign him and look two first round picks is probably less than Baltimore would want. So Talk to me about this Lamar situation, the tag, and how it makes sense to you because I'm trying to figure it out from all angles. And the only thing I can come up with is that Baltimore is just going to match anything. Well, so Baltimore's point of view, I think, makes a lot of sense when obviously they're a mile apart in the negotiations, right? Baltimore, the the last report I saw was that they were willing to go somewhere near the Deshaun Watson total money but were like almost $100 million less in guaranteed, like $80 million. They were going to 160 or something guaranteed versus 230, 240 million guaranteed. So that is a huge gap to try and bridge between the two sides. Um, we had Brad Spielberger, PFS, sort of salary cap free agent guy on the podcast today. And he was saying, 
he had heard that Baltimore was kind of coming with these offers and Lamar was like, well, is it the Deshaun Watson deal? Then don't even show it to me. I'm not interested. Wow. Like that, yeah. that's, if it's not looking like that, I'm not even reading your offer. So if that's where the negotiations were, it makes a lot of sense for Baltimore to say, you're not going to get that deal. And not only are we don't, do we think you're not going to get it, we're so confident that we're prepared to sort of expose you to the marketplace, let you go talk to other people and see for yourself that that's not the kind of deal you're going to get given. And there's a kind of implied challenge or a dare to him because we're going to pay you you know, the, the non-exclusive franchise tag deal, which is, you know, millions of dollars less than the exclusive one. So go and check, like go and find out for yourself that this is the kind of market you're dealing with. Then if it's anything approaching the kind of deals that Baltimore were offering him, they'll of course match it because they mm -hmm. were kind of in that ballpark anyway. Um, and then, the, the, so the gamble to that obviously is that a team decides to come in and say, well, two first round picks for Lamar is a steal, even if we have to give him a giant contract. And there's always a desperate enough team, right? There are teams that could put a contract in front of Lamar Jackson that Baltimore cannot match, like because they have to be able to fit it into their salary cap structure. They have to match it exactly. So there are teams out there that just have more capacity to put that deal in place in year one and year two that Baltimore literally could not match if they tried. Um, the Ravens are basically gambling that number one, those teams don't want to give him that kind of deal. And number two, the challenge with it all is number one, they can't start talking to him for a couple of days, technically right until the legal tampering period starts. Cause he's his own agent. And number two, if they sign him to a deal like that, the deal lives on that team's books for the seven days that Baltimore has to match it. So they effectively need to tie themselves up and not do anything until this thing gets done. And if Baltimore is going to match it anyway, then they just basically wasted a week of free agency without being able to do anything. So I think the Ravens are kind of gambling on number one, no team is going to give you anything crazy. And any team that does, doesn't want to do that. They don't want to tie themselves up in this thing. So, you know, I, people will say the jets, right? The jets are busy pursuing Aaron Rodgers. And you'll see people out there saying, well, if the Jets are going after Rodgers, why would they not go after Lamar Jackson, who's younger, maybe better at this point? Well, the answer is because if the Jets burn a week doing this, right, they put some crazy contract in front of him, it sits there for a week. And if they don't get him, then they're screwed because now you just insulted Rodgers. You didn't get Lamar. Now what do you do? Derek Carr's already signed somewhere else. Now the Jets are like throwing all the money at the world and Jimmy Garoppolo because that's like the only quarterback left standing. So... I think the Ravens have pretty shrewdly calculated this and saying it's going to work out in our favor if this is the route we go. The only concern is Lamar is his own agent, so how badly damaged is this relationship, even if it all works out in your favor and he ends up coming back and playing on the franchise tag this year? Like, Can you go back in the same room after all this and be like, hey, it's week one, Lamar, let's go. You know, He's, He seems unlikely to be happy at the end of this. Sam, I don't want to keep you much longer, but what I proposed is if I'm Daniel Schneider, I'm giving him the Watson deal plus 5% or plus a dollar, whatever. Piss off the league. They, they hate me anyways. <laughs> I'm selling the team. I don't care. Screw the Bengals and Chargers and Eagles that have to sign their guy next. It's going to have to have a guaranteed contract. And all it would cost you is the 16th pick in the draft and next year's first, which you hope is a playoff pick. You know, I mean, the, the commanders plus Lamar on a guaranteed deal – and you, you, the value of your team goes up, sell it. You know, people in Washington don't hate you as much and go to the beach and, you know, ride off in the sunset if you're Daniel Snyder. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it is one that makes a lot of sense. Like the, adding a motivator of spite to the thing changes right. the dynamic a little bit. <laughs> the only downside to Daniel Schneider um, in that scenario is the guy's <clears> trying <throat> to get out as it is, and you've got to put $250 million escrow, in an escrow yeah. account for this to mm -hmm. happen. So that's probably the thing that stops that happening. But I'm with you. Like that, that's the kind of thing that it needs to sort of change the dynamic, right? Like, there was one team desperate enough to give the Deshaun Watson contract a year mm -hmm. ago, and they're no longer in the market, right? Like the reason Atlanta doesn't have Deshaun Watson or New Orleans doesn't have Deshaun Watson is because they weren't willing to go where the Browns went. The, the Browns were told they were out, and then they came back in with this and said, right, what about now? And that changed everything. The That team's no longer there, so... I don't think we can look at this Deshaun Watson contract and say, well, there was a team last year willing to do this. Why wouldn't there be one this year? Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, is that feeling like a done deal to you? It's starting to sound that way, and I think it makes sense from both angles. Like I think both parties, it's mm -hmm. the best situation for them. Um, Rodgers on the Jets makes them a contender, not just a playoff team. It makes them a legitimate challenge to the Bills in that division. And it makes them, you know, an AFC force by, by that logic. The Bills should be one of the contenders in the AFC next year. And if you're the Jets, you need a guy like that. Because look at the AFC quarterbacks now. It's Josh Allen. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Justin Herbert. It's Trevor Lawrence. It's you know, if Lamar stays in the AFC. Like, this is a nightmare. So if you're the Jets, you need something with the firepower of Aaron Rodgers to, to hang with that kind of competition. Um, so I think it makes a ton of sense from their point of view. And then from Rodgers, sure you have to go through this murderer's row of quarterbacks, but that is a team that can contend. And I think it's a better side than like anybody else. He's going to have a shot at going to. I can't wait for Monday and the legal tampering and, and some of the crazy dollars we're going to see out there because obviously post COVID cap going up. Uh, I think a lot is, is right now with salary caps and, and dollars in the NFL, especially judging by some of these teams who are paying Daniel Jones, $40 million a year and they didn't have to compete with anybody. So, you know, like what is, is do you expect some numbers like what Jimmy Garoppolo gets or, or what some of these other free agents get on the opening day of, of free agency? Or do you think we're going to be surprised by how much some of these numbers and contracts are going to go up this offseason? I think it's going to be a really interesting free agent period because it's not a good free agent group. Um, no. It's one of the weakest kind of collections of talent, I think, to hit free agency for a long time. But as you said, the cap's gone up by the biggest number ever. Like People have money to spend, so how are they going to do that? Are they going to you know, target sort of specific second tier type free agents and spend a lot of smart money? Or does it just mean that whoever's at the top of the list gets giant sums of money because that's the way it works, right? And Javon Hargrave maybe as like the, maybe the best free agent hitting the market ends up getting like a, just a monster contract simply because he's the top guy on the list and there's money to be spent. Like, I, I do think you're right. It's going to be a really interesting period to see how that money gets thrown around. I can see more Tyreek-like trades, too. Go get the bird in yeah. the hand and pay him, you know? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been talking about that as well. Like, mm -hmm. particularly at wide receiver, again, right. you know, a year after last season. Those guys, it's a bad free agent group of wide receivers. Like, Jacoby Myers is probably the best wide receiver available in free agency. When you start looking at the draft, the, the criticism of this class is, well, there's no Jamar Chase. There's no, mm -hmm. you know, true number one guy. So, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is out there as a deal that can get done. Brandon Cooks, but if you were prepared to throw a first round pick to Cincinnati or San Francisco for T Higgins or Brandon Ayuk, like Cooper cup, 
Yeah, I mean, there's sure. there's deals I think that could be done, and maybe teams aren't even looking to trade away those guys. But if somebody gives you an offer of a first round pick and a third round pick, like the AJ Brown deal, mm-hmm. and they're prepared to give them the contract at the end of it all, like that's going to be pretty difficult to turn down. Fascinating stuff. I can't wait for the start of free agency. And of course, you can find Sam and the PFF podcast with Steve Palazzolo and all the great work they're doing over there at PFF. And Sam, appreciate you giving us some time today. It's uh, always fun to chat with you. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. And of course, you can find us every single day. Thanks for making us your first listen right here. Peacock and Williamson.